The following episode of The Book Guys is rated explicit for content and may contain lots and lots of violence. Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free audiobook just for signing up for a free trial. Why not? This is the Book Guys show. My name is Paul Elvis and I've been told that I am the Anthony Bourdain of book review shows, uh, mostly because I don't really know what I'm talking about. I love every book I read, and uh, sometimes I'm hammered while doing it. And, and again, Book Guys Show, as always, joined by my good friend. He has a jingle. Sir Jimmy. How you doing, Jimmy? North Carolina, A, the U.S. Yeah, of a. I've been told I'm the diners, drive-ins, and dives guy <laughs> of the book podcast world. I'm doing fantastic. It's great to be here. How are you, sir? Oh, very good. But I just I had actually a family member said, you're like the Anthony Bourdain of books. You love every book. And the, the, the reality is, folks... I read lots of books that I don't like, and I just don't talk about them on the show because the odds are you're not going to read it anyway, so why would I talk about the ones I don't like? I'm not gonna yeah, waste... we need to have another show yeah. just about books that suck. Yeah, because we're not going to waste people's time with books we didn't like because uh, the, the likelihood is they're not going to read them anyways. Uh, and uh, our good friend, all the way in Seattle, where it's always raining like it is today in Toronto, Mr. Craig from Cymec.com. Damn low. Ahoy. We have Nobody to get you a jingle. Anybody of books. <laughs> we, need to, we need a jingle for you, Craig. You got to talk to our good friend, Jeff Smith. Oh, I got a jingle for him. It's a soapbox rocket. I am so clipping that and, and making it a jingle, Jimmy. You're fucked now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and gentlemen, we are joined by the LGBTI coordinator for Amnesty International herself, Miss Rachel Lauren Clark. How Hi, are guys. You, Good. How are you? I am the woman versus food of books. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Oh, yeah. Here. I'll give her a ding as well. <laughs> uh, Rachel, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be recording maybe a little Ward 18 podcast afterwards, but thanks for joining us on Book Guys. Well, thank you for having me. I am very happy to be here for sure. Fantastic. I it was the ninth Ward. No, no, we're the 18th ward in Toronto. That's, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's twice as good. <laughs> hey, so Jimmy, how do we usually start it? Well, I'm always anxious to hear what, you know, what's on people's, what are you reading, what's on your Kindle stand. And what's, your, on your your what's on your nightstand, your nightstand, your Kindle. What's on your, what's on your Android device, your Apple, your iPhone. What are you reading? <laughs> and let's start with our special guest, Rachel Lauren. Rachel, what's on your nightstand or on your Kindle? On your, uh, I see you're, you're an Android as well. You're an Android yes, person. Yes, I love my Android. And yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually put mine on vibrate now. So, um, right now I'm reading a book called Middlesex. It was written in 2002. Um, it's about um, an intersex person who uh, lives in a Greek family um, in the 1950s and starts. Um, uh, you know what? Right away, 1950s. If you're anything other than 
white. Exactly. Straight. Yeah. Yeah. Her name is Calliope. When Sorry to interrupt, but no, yeah. God, no, no. Um. Yeah. And um, she grows up and um, gets to a certain age and decides that she, um, because she's an intersex person, she wants to be a male um, instead. So she uh, she goes through that transition. And the book is really. Uh, an excellent book. It's sold of over a million copies, I believe, and it's on the New York Times bestseller list perennially. Excuse me, and um, it also won a Pulitzer Prize for literature. So uh, I've read it a few times. I I really love that book. Um, th- that's what I'm reading right now. And I'm taking a look here on Audible.com. I did do a, a cursory search for LGBT, and. Uh Top of the list, guess what? Of 730 paltry results on Audible, uh, top is Middlesex. And it's narrated uh, on Audible uh, in the audiobook version by Christ- Christopher Tabori. And uh, I would say, again, if, if you're interested, this is one of those good buys for your first free book that you get uh, as an Audible member. If you haven't tried it yet, audibletrial.com slash bookguys. This is a 21 hours and 26 minute audiobook. And uh, we do everything casual and unrehearsed, Rachel. So we're going to play a sample right off the Audible website, and hopefully it'll be a, a good little snippet from the book. Okay, great. Three months before I was born, in the aftermath of one of our elaborate Sunday dinners, my grandmother, Desdemona Stefanides, ordered my brother to get her silkworm box. Chapter 11 had been heading toward the kitchen for a second helping of rice pudding when she blocked his way. At 57, with her short, squat figure and intimidating hairnet, my grandmother was perfectly designed for blocking people's paths. Behind her in the kitchen, the day's large female contingent had congregated, laughing and whispering. Intrigued, Chapter 11 leaned sideways to see what was going on, but Desdemona reached out and firmly pinched his cheek. Having regained his attention, she sketched a rectangle in the air and pointed at the ceiling. Then, through her ill-fitting dentures, she said, Go for ya, ya, dale mu. Chapter 11 knew what to do. He ran across the hall into the living room. On all fours, he scrambled up the formal staircase to the second floor. He raced past the bedrooms along the upstairs corridor. At the far end was a nearly invisible door, wallpapered over like the entrance to a secret passageway. Chapter 11 located the tiny doorknob level with his head and, using all his strength, pulled it open. Another set of stairs lay behind it. For a long moment, my brother stared hesitantly into the darkness above before climbing, very slowly now, up to the attic where my grandparents lived. In sneakers, he passed beneath the twelve damply newspapered bird cages suspended from the rafters. With a brave face, he immersed himself in the sour odor of the parakeets and in my grandparents' own particular aroma, a mixture of mothballs and hashish. He negotiated his way past my grandfather's bookpile desk and his collection of Rebetica records. Finally, bumping into the leather ottoman and the circular coffee table made of brass, he found my grandparents' bed and under it, the silkworm box. Carved from olive wood, a little bigger than a shoebox, it had a tin lid perforated by tiny air holes and inset with the icon of an unrecognizable saint. The saint's face had been rubbed off, but the fingers of his right hand were raised to bless a short, purple, terrifically self-confident-looking mulberry tree. 
After gazing a while at this vivid botanical presence, Chapter 11 pulled the box from under the bed and opened it. We're going to stop it right there. Right. I got to say it right away, Rachel. That's exciting. Hey, <laughs> guys, that reminds me that the reader, uh, Christopher Tabori, reminds me of Frank Muller, the way he talks and makes everything more exciting. And mothballs yeah, and hashish. Each word, each word makes you wonder what's the next word. Yeah, exactly. Like, what's in that freaking box? And uh, mothballs and hashish, that, uh, that reminds me of the smell of my old science teacher back in school. Oh, well, well, thank you so much for saying that because the, the <laughs> Skype, you know, as wonderful as it is, thank you, Microsoft, it, it cut out a little bit. And all I heard was balls and hashish. And I'm like, oh, God, the, something smelled like <laughs> balls and hashish. That's No, no, that, that, that was my religion teacher. <laughs> 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 but uh, uh, very well read. I know uh, Rachel have to ask: Did you uh, you read this in a paper format or on your Kindle, or did you listen in audio? Um, I actually bought this book uh, when it came out in two thousand two on um, on paperback, and I tend to buy a lot of books like that um, and keep them. I don't know um, what it is about having books as possessions. You know, I I just it, I don't hoard anything. I, at all except for books and right. I have many many books that I've just collected over the year you, you know you fly to San Francisco and you go to the airport and you buy a book that you find interesting and it ends up in your book collection yeah. and you rediscover it all the time and I think that's what's beautiful about the book and I'm wondering if, if you guys want to know what was in the box please tell us <laughs> <laughs> um, she uh, in the silkworm box she keeps a spoon which she rubs or she dangles over the pregnant woman's belly to determine the sex of the baby. Oh, yes, like an old, uh, yeah, it's an old uh, wives' tale. So that's what he's after, chapter 11 is after. Interesting. Now, I've got to say one thing, Rachel. As I was looking through the LGBT, I, I searched for LGBT on Audible, and I was kind of disheartened to find that quite a few of the list here, it's all pictures of men having sex with men. And I, I was expecting more of a collection of lgbt authors and not like something like i'm a big doctor who fan so i know that like russell t davies he's a he's a he's a gay man and uh, he's written a lot of great sci-fi and whatnot uh, and it was kind of disheartening for me to just find that it was all gay sex i mean like if you look up straight uh you know uh novelists and authors it's not all about men having sex with women and, and the cover is not doesn't look like a harlequin romance Right, right. So I, I was really expecting something different from an LGBT uh, a section on Audible. I was expecting more of uh, authors. Yes, and that's and a that, that's a great question. Um, and, and I think part of the issue is is that um, with that is that uh, we're just kind of coming into a, an arena where LGBT authors and actors and actresses are are really um, being recognized by the public. And I and I think. You know, uh, when people were writing books, they were either turned down because of the person's sexual orientation or content, especially. And so there's not a lot of books out there. But, the, you know, the books that deal with, with sex and kind of raw stuff were easier to sell to publishers. So um, that's why it's very, with the LGBT book session, book section, there are many, many books. But you have to dig through that, unfortunately. Right. I just think it's unfortunate because, I mean... Uh for me, a book with a, a man, two men having sex on the cover is probably not going to be, uh, you know, uh, conducive to for me buying it. And because uh, I mean, I, I won't even buy like a Harlequin romance where, where straight people are having sex with each other. It's not my interest. I mean, uh, it's too close to porn to me. I, and and I kind of keep my porn and books separate. Yeah, and I know? think I think we have to keep in mind too that you know. Um 
part of the well the LGB is is um, of the LGBT anyway um, it mostly has to do with sexual orientation when you know when you're dealing with topics of sexual orientation there inevitably has to be sex or you know um, some kind of um, some kind of passion or some kind of love going in there and it's a very difficult topic for many people to wrap their heads around but there are many many books out there that really address this topic fantastically and it's getting uh increasing as we're gaining more rights for lgbt people for sure excellent and we will actually we'll come back and talk a bit about more about that but we're going to continue on what are we reading and maybe we'll go with uh craig i know both you and i have got a non-fiction to talk about Yes. Um, and let's start off with the, the jingle. Why not? Nonfiction. What you got, Craig? I got uh, 1,000 Years of Annoying the French by Stephen Clark. Or actually, it's probably Stephen Clark because it's a British author. But it's, it's the story of the last 1,000-year relationship between France and Britain. Um, told from the British viewpoint, a British author. So uh, it's it's really funny. It's it's a uh, you know it's nonfiction, and he goes through a lot of details. Uh, but it's it's a very funny book, and the way the information is presented. Unfortunately, or or fortunately, I guess it depends how you look at it. It's a really long book. Okay, so I'm only about halfway through. Uh, it's let's see, print length. It's 543 pages. That's not too bad. It's, that's no uh, eleven twenty two sixty three. <laughs> True. Curse the French. <laughs> you Americanos really don't like the French. What's what's up with that? Oh, that's just from a. Oh, that's, that's I got French. that line from a podcast. You remember? You ever seen Tiki Bar TV? It was one of the first video podcasts ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're they're Canadian, and one episode. I don't know. Those some guy Canadians. said that, and that stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> So you're, uh, so you're having freedom fries is what you're saying. Oh, no, no. That, those days are long gone. No. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I love the, the, the Simpsons video game I played once at a cousin's house. And uh, the one episode where Bart Simpson's in uh, France in the middle of World War II. And your mission as the video game player was to go around from house to house and stop the French from raising the white flag. <laughs> and I always picture that as how the, uh, the Americans picture France. Although they were uh, probably the biggest homegrown resistance within World War II of all the countries, including Germany, Fran- the French people were the uh, the biggest resistance to the biggest insurgency to the the Germans. Yeah, and actually, the only uh, there's there are no photos of Hitler at the top of the Eiffel Tower because the French resistance cut the cables to all of the uh, elevators. Nice. So that if he wanted to go to the top, he'd have to walk. Well, they're supposed to cut it once he got on the elevator. That would have worked. <laughs> Just saying. Was it, was it not true that Hitler wanted to raise the city of Paris and somebody stopped him from doing that yet? He did. He did. Hitler had some uh, interesting ideas. Uh, in fact, one of the first things he took in the war, this is completely uh, off, out of left field, but... Uh, one of the first things he took was uh, the uh, Spear of Destiny, the, the spear that was supposedly in the side of Christ, if you're a religious person. And uh, that was a whole covert secret ops operation. One of the first things he took uh, uh, in his uh, conquest hopes. Uh, Jimmy, 
What jingle should I play for you as far as what's on your Kindle? Well, actually, before we do that, I do have a nonfiction as well, and I have an excuse to play my ISIS jingle that I gave to Adam Curry on, uh, <laughs> on No Agenda. Hang on. Nonfiction. my audiobook reading list Rise of Isis a threat we can't ignore and it's a non-fiction by Jay Seklov uh, narrated by himself it's a 2 hour and 16 minute I will get back to you folks next week stay tuned constant readers uh, I will let you know if it is propaganda or information uh, or at least in my uh, humble opinion uh, it's a short book the Rise of Isis, A Threat We Can't Ignore. And I, I'm really only going to read it this week just because I have an excuse to play that jingle on the show. So, so Jimmy, what's on your reading list? Um, I, I don't know. Do we have a, a jingle for when you've been listening to the same book for two and a half weeks? Uh, yeah, we do. Here we go. Hang on. It uh, goes something like this, I think. No, we don't, Jimmy, but I, I wing it. Uh, well, I am still um, – I don't want to say I'm slogging through it because it's an interesting um, book. But you know, my drive to work is like 25 minutes, and it's, it's frustrating to have to turn it off when I get there. I'm listening to Shadow Maker by James R. Hannibal, read by Luke Daniels. And I, I, love, I love this guy. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, Luke, Luke da- are you talking about C-3PO from Star Wars, Luke, the same Luke Daniels? I believe it is. You're kidding. I believe so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, and it, you can play the ISIS jingle again because it's about you know um, Muslims uh, trying to blow something up and you know operatives over there trying to stop things and computers and drones and all that. It, it's very it's an interesting book. It one of the bad things is though I got it. Uh, it's on CD and it's nine CDs. And just nice, the effort nice. it takes to pull a CD out and change it over. And then when you change it over, they play like the last five or six sentences that you just heard again. It, uh, it's just wearing on me. Uh, and I'm told it's Anthony Daniels, not Luke Daniels. And for the younger <laughs> listeners, a CD is a small piece of plastic data can be encoded on. There's something wave, like a wafer in the center made of... Uh, Aluminum foil, I think that, and there's like, there's a, a phonograph record uh, needle. <laughs> I'll, I'll, do, I'll do you one better, Jimmy. The, the wafer is actually not in the center. Did you know that the wafer that has the, the data on it is actually printed just behind the label? So all those times you took the sharpie to the CD, you were actually uh, coating ink into the actual data. Da. So the the other side of the CD is just like a. a I was going to say a millimeter, so I'll, I'll free you Americanos. One sixteenth of plastic. That's all mm, it is. I burn all my CDs after I'm done. There you go. <laughs> take, take no, uh, no chances. Take no prisoners. That's right. <laughs> ah, so, you know, we're going to take a, a quick break. And when we quick. Come, oh, yeah, very, very quick. And when we come back, uh, I've got a sci-fi pick. And maybe we will continue talking with uh, Rachel. LGBTI coordinator yes, for Amnesty International. And we'll talk about that whole thing because we've, uh, I know that the three of us, uh, Craig, Jimmy and myself, are listeners of No Agenda 
and Adam, who is a bi-curious male, used to be on MTV, and uh, he's always got a new uh, form of that uh, acronym. Sometimes it's LGBTQI, sometimes it's LGBTQII, and maybe we'll get a, a, the, the you know, permanent, let's, let's figure out what term we should use, and uh, don't tell us yet. I know, Rachel, you're dying to tell me. Yeah. It's very long, actually, but I'll, <laughs> All right. I'll explain later. And I will get my pen ready to write it down. We'll do it right after this break. Hi, this is Bernard Robichaud. I play Cyrus on the Trailer Park Boys, and you're listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys! And we are back. That's the way I usually do it, right, Jimmy? We're back? And I we're think back. that's how we, we've, we've done it in the past. Let's All continue right. with tradition. All right, so let's, uh, with tradition, let's do this. Book news. Not much book news going on. Uh, the Gutenberg uh, Press. I know we were talking about between the break, but... Uh, uh, let's do this. Technology. Ladies and gentlemen on the panel today, in America, does an e-book read you? Uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal. I'm going to read a little bit of the article. It takes the average reader just seven hours to read the final book in Suzanne Collins' Hunger Games trilogy on the Kobo, about 57 pages an hour. Uh, nearly 18,000 Kindle readers have highlighted the same line from the second book in the series. Quote, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them, unquote. And on uh, Barnes & Noble's Nook, the first thing that most readers do upon finishing the first Hunger Games book is download this next one. And this is all data that we would not have known in the past, publishers would not have known, and your ebook is literally reading you. Uh, most people don't know why they've put uh, internet and free Wi-Fi onto every uh, book reader. It's not just to download that book you bought to your e-reader. It's also transmitting uh, somewhere in that, uh, when you clicked OK on that EULA, the end user license agreement, somewhere on that EULA, it said, by the way, we're going to watch what you're reading, when you're reading, how fast you're reading it, how often you read it, what you read, uh, what outside files you bring into your nook. We know you're reading pirated books. We know what you're reading, how you're reading, how fast you're reading it. So, uh, uh, Jimmy... Is this a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, we're getting to the point where uh, ebook publishers are actually looking at how people read the books, which parts they stop reading at that they maybe find boring, they put the book down, which uh, points in books people abandon books, and this is almost going to shape how editors at these publishing houses edit the books uh, to the point where Amazon is already uh, working on those you know smaller. Uh, Adam Curry calls them giblets, the small, smaller ebooks to keep people's attention, uh, editing classic works, editing books that uh, they have on the horizon in order to uh, shape the way people read them based on actual information. Now, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Let's start with Jimmy. Good I think or bad? I think it's a fantastic thing for the destruction of society as we know it. Hey, hey, hey no. No, I mean, I'm, gonna I'm give not you a, a fan of it. I... You deserve that if anyone does. I, I went into my iPad and my iPhone and deleted every app that was not a native app. You know what? I, I, I had a no, point. No, I didn't. I'm joking. No, but I, I did have a point a couple weeks ago where I, I said, you know what? I'm really sick of Facebook being able to read everything that I'm doing. Including uh, 
as long as you have a Facebook app on your phone, Facebook knows which people you call, where you are, which website. Even if Facebook app is closed, they know which person you're calling, where you're going, which uh, websites you visit, what you bought online. And I said, you know what? Screw it. You know what? I'm taking the Facebook app off my Android phone. And guess what? The Facebook app on my HTC One is built into the operating system, cannot be removed. The only no, thing you can do see, is, is log out of the app, but you can't remove the app itself. The most, the most important part of the Facebook app is the, is the terminology in the EULA. Right. The end user license agreement right. for those out there who... And, and I'm not picking on Facebook, so before Mark Zuckerberg puts a hit on my life, um, even uh, try this, uh, folks, try this at home. Open up Twitter in your browser... Browse Twitter, log in, make sure you're logged in, you got your Twitter account open. Now open up another tab in the same browser, and uh, you know what, go on uh, various shopping sites and look for merchandise from your favorite television show. Now switch back to your Twitter window, and look at the who to follow on your Twitter app, uh, on your Twitter window in your browser. And eventually, I I found this quickly, I was um, researching how to get my uh, Doctor Who coat from ThinkGeek repaired. It has some uh, you know, damage on it. Uh, just stains that I didn't put there. Weird little things at the bottom there. You can see it, Rachel. Okay. little discoloration. I go back to my Twitter app, and all of a sudden, I've got all these Doctor Who Twitter accounts being recommended to me on the Who to Follow. And I, and I, I, I got kind of concerned. I said, you know what? I'm going to look it up. And yes, uh, as long as your Twitter... You're logged into Twitter on your browser, they are watching everything you browse online, which, which is not too bad because I'm not plotting any kind of, uh, you know, terrorism. Uh, I'm not browsing any strange porn anyways, not, nothing illegal. <laughs> and and uh, it was kind of disconcerting to find that the stuff I was browsing in my other browser windows was going onto the Twitter account. Same with now reading books. I mean, uh, we're in a pretty decent society, uh, all four of us. I mean, we're in Canada, you're in the States. So it's not that bad for us we're not in north korea we're not in russia or china so but what if it does get that bad here what if it gets to the point where i'm reading 1984 on my kindle and i'm in korea you know and and kindle is reporting that back to uh you know i was gonna say mao say tongue but you know what's his name kim jong-un um i'm just seeing a future where this might be a bad 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 idea that the government knows what I'm reading. And to start off, where Amazon, I know almost tongue-in-cheek, but uh, almost in a dystopian, evil way, called their book reader the freaking Kindle. As in burning books. And we know they've already burned a few books off people's Kindles. They've already deleted books off people's e-readers. Uh, so to, to, to say that the evil is not on the horizon, it's already happened. They've already deleted books off people's e-readers and made them inaccessible. So, uh, I mean, Jimmy, uh, is this a bad thing? I mean, uh, can we hack our Kindles to, to remove that? Uh, can we uh, somehow maybe uh, you know, get some tweezers and pluck out that, that Wi-Fi chip? Probably not without violating the end-user license agreement. Right, right. probably. <laughs> you know, not maybe legally. Rachel's got it right. You know, big old stack of paperbacks. And you're not, yeah. not only can they not tell how fast you're reading, what pages you've got dog-eared, um, you got you know a little stack of trophies. People come no, no, over the, and go. The, you're That's right. right. I read all. You're right. There, there's an advantage to the paperback and the hardcover, which is 
if you have it, you have it. I mean, you can hide it. You know, um, you can hide it in your basement. You can hide it in a, you know, a false, uh, you know, door somewhere in your house. You can bury it in the backyard. But uh, moving forward, as less and less paper books are being printed, more of it's going to be e in digital format. And when uh, they have control of what digital formats can be displayed and, you know, on your device, it gets worse. I mean, at some point, there will be books that will no longer be printed because, the, the, you know, we're having less and less printing houses. They're all amalgamating into this, like, uh, evil, fucked-up Voltron of, uh, uh, of printing. I mean, we're down to maybe three major printing houses with uh, hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of names Although it's called Green Save the World Forest Press, it's still HarperCollins. You know, uh, we're down to maybe three major publishers. Well, and you just you just have to make sure that when you're buying a book, a paperback book or a hardcover book, that you're paying in cash as well. Yes, <laughs> I like Rachel. <laughs> She's with us. <laughs> Rachel, have you ever heard of NoAgendaShow.com? <laughs> maybe you should uh, start listening. Okay, you'd fit in. <laughs> I'm going to take the opposite stance and say that the e-readers following what you're reading, watching where you're stopping, is a good thing because they'll produce better books for you. Okay. Or, or, but, 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 but does it get to the point where it is, they're making better books for sales and now we're making, producing books for the lowest common denominator? No offense to the lowest common denominator, but just because 70% of people stop reading this book after chapter three, doesn't make it a bad book. I mean, I, I'd bet you that ninety uh, percent uh, of people stop reading Moby Dick after the first chapter. Does that you know, make Moby Dick a piece of shit? No. It means that a lot of people just don't have the patience, don't want to read it. Is it still a classic? Should it still be read? Should they edit it down to four chapters? No, I think I think you got it wrong. The the actually watching what everyone is doing will stop the lowest common denominator mentality because the lowest common denominator mentality was put in place because nobody had enough data for what people actually liked or watched. Okay. You know, it was, I mean, it was a feedback, a horrible feedback loop uh, that didn't work for the, you know, the movies, the books, whatever, the magazines. And, you know, it was, a lot of it was, look, we need to publish more X because that's what's selling they had no data. It was just that's what they were seeing in front of them. They didn't know if people liked it. They didn't know why it was selling. You know, maybe people were buying a specific book to burn it. And uh, good or bad, they saw the sales go up, so they, they started publishing more books like that. Well, now, you know what? Now, now we're both playing devil's advocate. This is Satan's courtroom, gentlemen and ladies. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I'm going to twist it around again and be the devil's advocate again. So, so then... They're going to look at the data and say, that, well, you know what? Most engaged readers are reading Harry Potter books. Let's make all books like Harry Potter. But that's already happening. I mean, go, go into the kids section now, and there's you know, a dozen Harry Potter ripoffs. So you're not, you're not improving or it's not making it better or worse. The only thing it can do is make it better because we're in such a horrible state of popular culture today. Now, now is this an opportunity... Craig, for those who are not um, pleased with being watched as they read, is this an opportunity, almost like a BlackBerry, where BlackBerry now might go in another direction? They're a Toronto company, and they might—they're considering going in a secure 
uh, encrypted phone direction. Uh, I wish they, if they would, had gone Android, I would have gone BlackBerry a long time ago. But they're going in a direction which is, this is your phone. No one else can read what you're doing. And, and they're taking the opposite stride of uh, everyone else in the, in the industry. Is there room now for a, a book publisher, or not a book publisher, but an a e-book maker to say, we're going to make an e-book reader that is not watched, there's no internet, you got to just plug in your USB, and we're not going to watch what you read. Is there a room for someone like that? I, you know, there's room, but is there a market? I mean, that's my question. Well, let, let's, let's get the Kickstarter going, Craig. Well, but how many people are going to pay an extra $20 a book uh, to not be watched? Hey, how many people even know that this is an issue except, you know, the intelligent listeners to the book guy show? And they are intelligent. Right. Oh, and, 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 honestly, and it's beautiful. My opinion, the worst thing about it isn't that they're tracking us. It's that they're sharing that data outside and, right. you know, to whoever. That's, right. that's the problem is you are lose, we're losing control of our own, not of our own actions, but of the records of our own actions. Well, I mean, right. if people don't think that that uh, Roku is uh, sharing the fact that you know you've backed up and watched the rape scene from your favorite TV show thirty five times, that that's something that's being tracked, recorded, and obviously is a data point out there. You know, any of that stuff. You know, I, I actually, you know, I know some people. Um, who, who share Netflix passwords and they'll share their Amazon password and their Hulu Plus password back and forth. And you can just, just looking at some of the stuff that people you know very well watch, that's scary enough to see that, not, not only not to know how often they watch it or how they watch it. So, well, you know, the TV's had an advantage for a long time uh, with great metrics, great data on, as far as who's watching, how they're watching. Uh, their income levels, their, their male, female, whatever. And, and they've always been able to shape television. And i got to be honest with you, most of what's on TV today is crap. Turn off your television. Turn off your television. And, and a lot of the great stuff that we've seen on television lately has been Maverick stuff. That uh, you know, uh, HBO just said, hey, screw it. You know what? Screw the metrics. Screw the data. We're going to put out this thing, Game of Thrones, and we'll get George R. R. Martin on board and... And they've had a hit success with that. But a lot of the stuff on television today is just inane garbage. It makes people dumber. Yeah, we, we get are we dumbing the, down we books with this data? We media we deserve. Yeah, but are we dumbing down data? I mean, should, should the populace strive to, to, to better themselves? Or should media companies dumb down media? That's on the, the plus question. side, if the data gets dumb enough, it has no value, value to those recording it. Nor to those uh, listening or consuming it. What I'm saying is, should we dumb down media based on the data we get from uh, uh, ebook spying, or should we raise up the level of books to the point where we get people to actually read them? We have people reading Game of Thrones, the the Song of Ice and Fire series now that never would have otherwise, because HBO came out with a brilliant television show. Uh, head writer, of course, and head script writers, uh, George R. R. Martin himself. Hopefully he doesn't die before he finishes the series. Uh, but that notwithstanding, um, should well, we be raising the bar? The value of the data. Or they're, lowering they're the bar. with the HBO Go. So they're going to get, where you don't have to have an HBO subscription, you can just get HBO Go. I think they really see the, the value out there of people in the internet 
watching their shows and because you know if, if you're not like if at my house here we don't have digital cable if we flipped on hbo they wouldn't have any idea we're watching hbo right but if you're watching hbo go they know what you want when you want to watch it how you watch it and that that would create a a huge data stream for them and help them create more shows that people yeah. want there is a there is a problem with watching data as well i think um, one of the issues with watching data is that there's no context to it. So you brought up Moby Dick earlier, and maybe I stopped reading Moby Dick because I just find Queequeg contemptible, and I don't want to read about him anymore, even though he's not in the book very long. Right. You know, you just stop. But how, if I'm watching data, am I going to know that as the person who's putting out these things or looking at that data? Because you're not. It's like the problem with text it. messages. There's no context. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, even if you look at. Uh, Societal norms, you know, uh, if you look at, uh, let's say we went to the, back to the 1990s, let's say we had these metrics in the 1990s, uh, they would look at the metrics and say, well, everyone's white and straight, and uh, that's all people want. We never would have had the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know, <laughs> I mean. Uh, I don't want to live in that world. No, no, no. West Philadelphia, born and raised, you know, um, I'm saying that. With these metrics, it really narrow focuses, narrow casts everything, and uh, maybe we shouldn't be watching people while they're reading. Just saying, putting it out there. So we'll leave it up to you, tweeters. Uh, send us a message, argue with us, swear at us is fine. Uh, send us huge amounts of contempt and hatred and love. Uh, I am Paul the Book Guy on Twitter. And Jimmy? I am at Soapbox Rocket. <laughs> no, that's Craig. Craig's at oh, Soapbox I'm sorry. Rocket. Me? Uh, you can find me at Free Hollow Books. And Rachel, are you on the tweeters? I am. Uh, my handle is at, under, uh, at nerdy underscore girl. There you go. Great handle. Love it. So uh, I am the uh, gatekeeper of Gozer the Gazarian. <laughs> I got I to gotta write that down. Gatekeeper of Gozer the Gazarian. I will never have a title that cool. I am the key master. <laughs> You'll all perish in flames. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help it. It just popped into my mind. Uh, I got one more, guys, before we finish the book news, because uh, this is uh, timely. Science fiction. It's free and... Come on, Sir Jimmy. What kind of sci-fi am I talking about usually? Mm. <laughs> oh, God, no. It Not is. Doctor Who. It is Doctor Who. Uh, Bigfinish.com, one of my favorite doctors. He was only ever in one episode, which was the movie, which is a Paul McGann, a fantastic British actor. Uh, I would say he's played the doctor more than almost any other doctor actor, even though he's only in one uh, televised episode. He is a superstar at bigfinish.com, which is run by Nicholas Briggs, Nick Briggs. He's been on the show before. If you want, uh, you can Google for uh, the voice of the Daleks, Book Guys show. He spent some time with us. And he is the voice of the Daleks. And he runs Big Finish. And he is giving away the first part of the series, Blood of the Daleks. Part one is free right now. So go to bigfinish.com. 
Uh, do a search for Blood of the Daleks, the first, I believe it's 30 or 40 minutes episode, written by Steve Lyons and directed by Nick Briggs, uh, features Paul McGann, and uh, introducing new companion to the Doctor, uh, Lucy Miller, played by Katerina Olsen, and a bunch of great other uh, British actors in there as well. And it begins a whole story with the Daleks. And I'm going to play the quick trailer. As soon as my browser keeps up with my... That's why I'm talking really slowly. There we go. You can drop the pretense now, Doctor. I know what you are. Receive your distress signal. Red Rocket Rising. Funny name for a planet. I've heard funnier. Go on, then. Make us laugh. I've seen the old records. The stories about this sector of space dating back to the days of the pioneers. We've forgotten so much. We felt safe here in our quiet corner of the universe. I was there at their birth. I fought against them in countless wars, seeing their legacy in the burial pits of a hundred worlds. Now that's what I call a spaceship. <gasps> Proper saucer shape and everything. The Doctor is an enemy of the Daleks. You are an ally of the Daleks. It is your duty to surrender the Doctor to us. You have asked for help. In return, we expect your cooperation. Classic Doctor Who. Brand new adventures. So uh, I'm told it's a great jumping on point if you've never listened to a Doctor Who audio. It does explain a little bit of the universe, and uh, it's free right now. Quickly, bigfinish.com, do a search for Blood of the Daleks, D-A-L-E-K-S, and it's free, and I believe it's a four-part series. And, of course, Nick Briggs is trying to hook you in. The first one's free, right? It's like a, like a crack dealer. First one's free. And we're back from our Doctor Who break. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? We're back with Rachel Lauren, who apparently, Amnesty International. How'd you get involved with that? I have to ask. Um, I started volunteering um, a, few, uh, a few months ago. Um, and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues here in Canada with uh, LGBT rights. And especially in West Africa and African countries, there's a lot of... Um, you know, big issues with LGBT, especially uh, in Uganda, for example. You, as you probably know, you can be executed for just right. being for being gay. Uh, so, uh, Russia has huge uh, issues right now with um, the the gay propaganda law they have there. So, it just felt really important to me to be involved in that organization, and um, I'm, I'm now the just the vice chair of the the. LGBTI section um, with Amnesty International Toronto organization. Um, it's most of the amnesty uh, advocates are or activists are do it for free. They work a lot of hours, and I'm really proud to be a part of that organization for sure. Excellent, excellent. And uh, we've had some contention here as far as the proper acronym. Now, of course, we've all known LGBT for a while, right? Uh, you know, le- lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual. Uh, no, transgender. Transgender. Sorry, yes. transgender. Yep. Yeah. There's LGBTQIAAP. Right. I've got the I've got the, the the base one wrong already. Yeah. It's uh, um, the whole acronym is LGBTTIQQ2SA. 
Try that again, Rachel. Yep. L-G-B-T-T-I-Q-Q-2-S-A. 2-S-A. Yep. And I love the fact that, uh, I know we're not doing video anymore, but Rachel had to bring up her phone to... (laughs) So I don't feel that bad anymore. (laughs) Well, uh, there's so many variations of it. That's the issue. And that's the official one that's being used now. Um, But literally, I can add a P on there for pansexual. Um, You know, um, I can add another A on there for allies. Um, So there's really a a lot of different acronyms that fly around right now. And the idea behind it is to be inclusive of everybody and to make sure that everybody who um, is in this community is represented and it's very hard to do that by, you know, I can't, I can't say, well, Paul, let's talk about lesbian, gays, bisexuals, transgender, transsexuals, right. intersex, queer questioning, two-spirit, and allies, you know. Right. Um, that sounds ridiculous. So, uh, so we try to um, come up with acronyms that are at least pronounceable or recognizable. Can we maybe simplify it a little bit more? I'm yeah. not sure if it was my dad or Depeche Mode who said people are people. Yes. Well, unfortunately... Um, a lot of the conversation I have with people is they say, well, I have an issue with the pride parade, for example. How come there's not a straight pride parade? And, and I say to them uh, that every day is straight pride. You know, the, the reason why this exists is because people are being denied rights all over the world. There's, there's not, they're not equal rights under the law. And as long as that is happening... Um, it's very important that you know uh, we have a space where we're recognized. And, and it's not like straight to. people are excluded from the Pride Parade. I mean, if you go down... There, there's absolutely no problem with you going down and kissing your girlfriend if you're. Oh, a absolutely man. not. No, it's a very welcoming you, you space. Have a, yeah, it's a very welcoming uh, environment. Yeah, unfortunately, it gets a bit of a bad reputation because one or two people, um, you know, um, want to it, are not very family friendly. This rope. Put that way. <laughs> But you, you know, I mean, I I think I think if that's what you think the pride parade is about, then you're really missing the point altogether. Yeah. And we, I think the problem is the media because they, uh, I mean, not not in years uh, recent, but years past, they did focus on. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, if you look at ten years ago, the Toronto Sun would print the only pictures they would print would be uh, the guy with his uh, dingaling hanging hanging. Right, and, uh, right. That's well, what it's the sensation, as, the, whatever right. the sensational part is. That's yeah. what. They yeah. think sells. Yeah, I mean, we had World Pride here in Toronto. I think the Pride Parade went on for five hours. There was 200,000 marchers. And maybe one-tenth of one percent of those people were people who were exhibitionists and, and doing that. But it's really doing a disservice to the community to, yeah. to just say, well, I'm not going to take my and kids to the Pride Parade. And usually there'll be about 100 people around them saying, put your pants back on. Yes, no, absolutely. And not, not, yeah. I'm not talking about police officers. I mean, actual... Uh, LGBTTIQQ2SA people will be saying, put your pants back on, an e-hole. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. And, and um, I, I think they have a right to do it, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, we need to be better at explaining to our children, you know, why that, ha- why that happens and why they're doing it in the first place. It's not just to be an exhibitionist or to, or to do that. But, you know, in 1981, the city of Toronto was arresting people for being in a bathhouse, you know, and, and it's a, and it's an egregious thing. And it, and it was only 30 some odd years yeah. ago that that was happening. So we have to not forget the history behind that now. And, and I'm sure if we had today's media back in the days when, uh, uh, let's say Irish were not welcome in Toronto, this is, this is maybe a, a few decades before Irish were the only thing they were good for is to be policemen. Um, if they had had a, you know, an, a, a, you know, St. Patrick's day parade, the only pictures we would have seen in the Toronto papers would have been uh, Irish people vomiting. Where I'm sure if the Toronto Sun really wanted to at last year's, uh, you know, the last uh, St. Patrick's Day parade, they could have printed five or six pictures of Irish people drunk out of their minds 
and vomiting. But uh, we've got to the point where Irish people are welcome to society. So now well, the, the pictures you don't are, need to talk about Kevin the King well, like that. Kevin the King, you know what? I'll give you one thing, uh, Jimmy. Kevin the King will not be caught vomiting on a, uh, St. Patrick's Day. He's a, he can hold his liquor. But, All but, right. but I'm just saying, you know, b- back, back when they were not welcome, as far as uh, the bigotry in, in town, uh, maybe that's how they would have portrayed the uh, St. Patrick's Day parade, where now it's portrayed as everyone comes and everyone has a good time. And even now, the, the, the gay pride, uh, the Toronto gay pride is huge. I mean, our last one was the World Pride was hosted here, and it was a phenomenal event, brought in billions of dollars to the economy, everyone had a good time, no one got shot, it was great. No, it's a very peaceful thing, and you know, I support those people who um, disrobe and and do what they want to do at the Pride Parade. I I mean, I think, you know, I think it's a very important message, and it's a very um, important thing to realize where it comes from, that it's not just, you know, men and women just wanting to disrobe to disrobe. And I think it should be supported. Um, and I understand there's some sensitivity around children. This, and this is maybe one point, uh, Rachel, where you and I disagree, because mm-hmm. I, I would like it to, to be an environment where uh, my, my mother could bring uh, or, or my, my aunt could bring her grandchildren. And, and uh, that is one of the things that keeps some of the more, uh, let's just say, maybe not homophobic, but more on the fringe people from going and attending and, and learning the lesson that is uh, the, the Pride Parade, where, where if there were no um, you know, uh, body parts swinging, maybe that my uh, you know, grandmother would show up and, and maybe see these people as human beings and, and, and maybe finally connect. And I'm talking about people that are way past their generation, like in their 70s, yeah, yeah. And six, the hardest ones yeah. to reach. Yeah. Mentally. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Pride is it's not just a parade on Sunday. It's an entire week. Right. You know, this week, there, uh, this year, there was a whole entire week committed to human rights and uh, human rights around uh, LGBT issues. And, um, you know, th- there hasn't been a real focus on that. And the focus has always been on just the parade and not the other events that take place. And there is actually very family-friendly events that take place, including a parade where you can bring in that stuff's not permitted. So, um, you know, it's just a matter of getting to know the community and where things stand and when to bring your kids and when not to bring your kids. And, you know, but I I think pride is for everyone. I would never tell somebody not to come to pride because they were afraid. It's it's a place not to be afraid. Uh, Jimmy, I'm going to put on my uh, running for counselor hat now and say that uh, one of the things we could do in, in the city... Uh, as far as the, the gay pride, and a lot of events that we have throughout the year, is uh, set up satellite parties. Because I know a lot of people, when the gay pride parade is on, and I've gone door to door, I've knocked on 20,000 doors in, in, in my ward, they hide at home. They know all the gay prides going on downtown. We're going to the cottage. Or we're, 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 we're going nowhere near downtown. God forbid they might catch the Ebola, you know, exactly. of pride. Yeah, yeah. You know? So... <laughs> So I would, one thing I want to see in the, throughout the city, and not just for, just for Gay Pride, for Portugal Day, for uh, you know, for the Caribbean Festival, is have satellite parties so that even if you you stick in Ward 18 and you don't go downtown for Gay Pride, there's still going to be a little Gay Pride party at Dufferin and College. Oh, absolutely, I agree, and um, I can talk about my ward, Ward 30 in Leslieville, and um, Leslieville has um, a large LGBT community. And there is a lot of events going on in Leslieville around uh, LGBT, you know, pride, yep. pride things. So, 
you know, you don't necessarily have to focus on Church Street and what happens on Sunday, although I think it's important that everybody goes and sees a Pride Parade. There's all kinds of other events through the whole week, and it's really doing a disservice. For for tourists, too, as they're going through the city on their way to Church Street and Wellesley and whatever, that they could see as they're going through, you know, whatever area of the city, they could see a little satellite party going on with some rainbow flags. And even during, like, the Caribbean Festival... Hey, maybe the local Portuguese place that normally fries sardines, they could be doing some uh, jerk chicken. I absolutely agree with you. And here's the funny thing to me, just as an aside. um, We talk about naked men in the street in in Pride. And um, then then the next day, as you mentioned, the Toronto Sun prints a picture of them. Right. So so where is our real offense? Our real offense is um, homophobia and transphobia and being concerned about a community that, that is asking for their equal rights under the law. And I think that's where a lot of the concern is, you know. Um, and that's what has to be addressed, for sure. Jimmy, real men aren't afraid of uh, gay and lesbians. Really. No, I, If you're comfortable it, in your sexuality, really. The, that whole fear, the, the homophobia itself, yeah, you, maybe you have to want to question your own sexuality at that point. Because if you're not comfortable in yourself as a man who loves a woman... And, and if, if a gay or a transgender person, you know, challenges your sexuality, then maybe you should uh, give a little bit more thought to that. I, I was the last the time that I was out at a, a club to see see a band was maybe, I don't know, six or eight weeks ago. And um, I, so there was this dude beside me and he was talking to a chick and and uh, I. You know, I, I knew the guy. I knew he was a gay guy. Just it, it wasn't it wasn't anything but obvious. And I get a, a warm hand on my forearm as I'm watching TV, and it's um, what are you drinking? Ain't and I'm like, uh, Red Bull. Red Bull and what? And I said, just Red Bull. <laughs> oh, okay. And you know, the the, the it was all understood, and uh, it, there wasn't any. I didn't feel bad. Uh, there wasn't any awkwardness or anything, but you know, it's it's not the first time for me being hit on like that. Well, you're and, you're a handsome you know, man. I'm just saying, hell, I'm I must have some nice looking shoes on, or you know, just got a haircut. <laughs> well, fine. I think I think you know, we look at that situation. We say we say, oh my God, somebody of my equal gender is hitting on me. And that's such a horrible thing. And my response was, is why is it a horrible thing that somebody finds you attractive or wants to talk to you? You know, I, right. I, I mean, you know, the world would be a much better place if we, you know, embrace that people have differences and that we love that we love each other. You know, and and you know, I think it's very important what you just brought up. I'm not yeah, gonna... and it's it's I, I it w- it was pro- it was probably I would say uh, uncomfortable for both of us. Because, uh, like I said, it's not not the first time that that's happened to me. Um, but I guess if if it happens once every couple of years, you don't really get a lot of practice in in the most positive way to react. <laughs> now, keeping you in know, mind, Rachel, he's in North Carolina. Oh God! Oh, I, I know <laughs> North Carolina, ooh, but from West Virginia. <laughs> well, West Virginia has marriage equality now. Hooray! I think that's a great well, thing. It just hit North Carolina. Yes, that's yep, great. Yep. Last uh, week or two weeks ago? Last week, I think. 
the issue of marriage equality, that's, that's an issue that's over to me. You know, I mean, it's enough already. This, cru- this crusade against marriage equality is insane. Um, yeah, let's insane. move on to legal drugs. Well, you know, whatever the next issue is, it can't be this issue anymore. It's over, you know. So fighting it and going through, basically we're saying we want, we want 13% of our population not to have the same rights we do. And I think it's, you know, it's over. You know, I say, hey, America, right this is what freedom looks like. Exactly. Enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, you don't, you don't want to get in front of that snowball rolling down the hill. No. That's and, right. And Canada isn't perfect either. I mean, right now, yeah. just um, we Hell have... No. There's a bill in the Canadian Senate right now, which has been stymied forever. It's called the C-279 bill. It's, it's to put gender identity as a protected class in the Canadian Charter of Rights. And the Senate refuses to pass it. And they've just had some more hearings on it. And I, I think the feeling is, is that maybe it won't pass. And what well, do we Rachel, do? Our, our problem with our Senate in Canada, same problem they have in the States with their Senate. They're all 70, 80 years old. Yeah. And, and elected for life right. in, in, our, in our Senate here. And yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, even my own family, meeting a great-grandfather who's 80 years old, I wouldn't hate him or, or her because they, you know, were anti-black or anti-gay. It's just a, where they, you know, they, that's what they grew up with, and they were programmed with that for the first 50, 60 years of their lives. And this is why I, I, I'm always for... Uh, term limits on any political position. Let's get fresh eyes in there. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Whether it's uh, drug issues or LGBT, TIQQ2SA issues. <laughs> I had right. to read it too. Oh, that's okay. There's, <laughs> but, a, there's a million things that you can do as a citizen of, of this city and your country to, to do. And it doesn't only have to be political office and it doesn't have to be forever. And for that, I agree with you, you know. And I think. I, I think you know um, the Canadian Senate right now. They're saying that um, they their their issue with gen- adding a gen- gender identity to a protected class is that they're afraid that transgender women specifically are going to go into women's spaces and rape children and women. And they've right. been very straightforward about well, saying is that. Is the reality not that it's more uh, straight men that are you know child abusers than any anyone else um in in the trans community we refer to people who are born one gender and heterosexual as cisgender and cisgender people um which are the majority of the population um commit egregious egregious crimes against trans people so we're worried about trans people if we look at the province of ontario where transgender people are a protected class of people there hasn't been one incidence of any of this happening, and trans women have been using the washroom here for for years and years and years. So we just need to stop panicking and look at what we're doing and make sure that we're giving everyone the same rights as everyone else, and I think that's the fair thing to do. Absolutely. Cheers to that. Greg, you're, you're awfully silent there, my friend. That's because he dropped off for the good of the podcast about... Ten minutes ago, he typed in the chat box that... Uh, I thought he was just being quiet. No. He's, he said, okay, I need to run. My internet is breaking up like poop after Indian food. There you go. There <laughs> you go. Seattle internet's not that great. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, you know, Microsoft's there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hello. <laughs> so, so, Jimmy, lots of food for thought this episode. I know you got to run. I know Rachel's got to run. We're going to do a Ward 18 podcast. Hopefully, if Rachel has more time. I do have as much time for you as you need. Excellent. Excellent. Fantastic. And I'm going to go in here and, and toy around with the new GoPro 
You get oh, it hooked up to wait the drone. We're gonna you got a GoPro? Oh, geez, I, I want you to put that GoPro on your head and uh, watch you eat the hot peppers. I, I, I would subscribe <laughs> you know, I, to that. I, I finally got some of the Carolina Reapers that came in and dried yes. them, and I got two little bottles of it, and I ate some today at lunch for the first time, and it was blazingly hot in a weird, nice. ho- in a weird way. I have some Aruga scorpions growing. Now they're in, my, uh, in, in a little room in my house. Uh, they're by the sun. I brought them inside just before they froze overnight. So the, uh, the first thing that grows on them is two little horns. Yeah. It's bizarre. Well, so I'm pretty much convinced be hot. I can eat the hottest things in the world. And my mouth, my stomach, everything takes it just fine. But my lips burned today for an hour and a nice. half after lunch. I still have half the shaker you sent me of the... Of the uh, Bujalokia. Yeah. I still got half the shaker, and uh, it has brought great joy and pain to many people in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to hit this button here, Jimmy. Let's, let's do it. Thank you, Rachel, so much for joining us. Thank you both thank very you. much. I really appreciate it, and I had such a great time here tonight. And thank you for your uh, book picks. And uh, thank you, Jimmy, and thank you, Craig, whose uh, uh, internet has been cut off by Bill Gates. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Nice We're going to do it again. Rachel. Nice to meet you, too. Next week, who knows what we'll have next week? We don't know. But it will be the same. We've got a surprise guest. Yes, always a surprise guest, Jimmy. But uh, the one thing I do know is it will be happening at the same book time, same same book book channel. channel. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guys Show will return next week. Same book time, same book channel. I got this bad habit from Jim Richards. Ah, Paul, the book guy. It's all Jim Richards' fault.